This podcast from Teacher is supported by the Hatchery Schools Learning Community, where you can get all your learning and development in the one place. Thanks for listening to this episode of Teacher's Staff Room, where we catch you up on the latest evidence, insight and action. I'm Rebecca Vukovic. More than half of Australia's population is under COVID-19 lockdowns, which means many of you are right in the thick of a long period of remote learning, maybe while trying to homeschool your own children at the same time. We've been separated from loved ones, we've missed important milestones and celebrations, and been restricted from doing some of the things we enjoy most. It's no wonder our well-being has taken a hit. That's why our fortnightly publication, Wellbeing by Teacher, may be just what you're looking for. In today's episode, I run through some of the recent well-being pieces we've published, as well as some other highlights from a busy month here at Teacher. Let's jump in. Late last year, we launched a new wellbeing publication called Wellbeing by Teacher, focusing on topics like mental health, nutrition, fitness, relationships, and sustainability. Each fortnight, we deliver a research-based article to our subscribers. We also accept contributions from educators who share their personal stories on how they care for their own health and well-being. This month, I sat down with Dr. Chris Irwin, an accredited practicing dietitian and senior lecturer in nutrition and dietetics at Griffith University. I asked him, We know that getting a good night's sleep is important for our overall health and well-being, but are there certain foods that we can eat that will actually improve our ability to sleep? Here's a quote from Chris from the article. We need to appreciate that diet is only one component in a very complex model that can influence both the duration and quality of sleep. So things like sleep hygiene, i.e. our habits such as bed, wake time and use of technology, the sleep environment, room temperature, noise, and darkness. Someone with medical conditions could also have complications with their sleep. If they're experiencing pain or anxiety, for example, that could influence their sleep. Likewise, stress, medication use, all of these things could have an influence on sleep. And there are lifestyle behaviors as well. So things like smoking, physical activity level, and diet plays a part of that. We've got to get a lot of things right to make sure they all have a positive impact on our sleep. To complement this article, we also published an infographic that looked at how many Australian adults experience sleep problems. It also explored the financial and health costs of a bad night's sleep, and what we can do to improve our sleep patterns. You'll find a link to this infographic in the transcript of this episode on the Teacher Magazine website. This month, I also had the pleasure of sitting down with Dr. Kate Parker, a lecturer and postdoctoral research fellow at Deakin University's Institute for Physical Activity and Nutrition. I was keen to find out more about a study she's been leading, 
the Our Life at Home study, a national longitudinal study that aims to examine changes in activity-related behaviours, health and well-being, and identify the factors that may influence these at the beginning, during and after the COVID-19 pandemic. I asked her, with gyms and swimming pools closed, group fitness classes cancelled and community sports on hold, how are people managing to keep fit throughout the COVID-19 pandemic? Her research has found that people are turning to digital platforms like YouTube, Facebook, Zoom and fitness apps as an effective way to stay fit when access to other forms of organised exercise is restricted. We also published an Educator Insights piece from Donna White, a grade 5 and 6 teacher in a regional school in central Victoria. In her article, Donna shares her passion for gardening with readers and explains why her garden is both a form of escapism and a sense of pride. All of these pieces are free to access and available under the Wellbeing tab on the Teacher Magazine site. To subscribe to the Wellbeing by Teacher email newsletter, the sign-up form is also on the right-hand side of the Teacher Magazine homepage. Moving on now, I'm sure many of you will have seen that over five days in August, ACER held its annual research conference. This year's theme was Excellent Progress for Every Student, What Will It Take? and featured international researchers from a range of disciplines. It was packed full of interesting keynotes and presentations, which we plan to follow up on over the coming months. During that week, though, and following her presentation, we published a Q&A with Dr. Karen Morass, a senior lecturer at the University of New South Wales and specialist in visual arts education. In the Q&A, she talks about learning progressions in visual arts and shares some examples of how students' conceptions of art change with age. We'll be back after this quick message from our sponsor. You're listening to a podcast from Teacher Magazine, supported by the Hatchery Schools Learning Community, where you can get all your learning and development in the one place. Join us and attend live virtual events, interact with other community users and education industry experts, access on-demand bite-sized topics, in-depth content, and more. Sign up now to the school's learning community at the-hatchery.co. I'd like to tell you about two of the podcasts we published this month, because they certainly were two of my favourites. My colleague, Dominic Russell, spoke with Alex Wharton, Head of Middle School and English Teacher at Carinya Christian School in rural New South Wales. In the School Improvement episode, they discussed the reading culture that's been developed at the school, how students in grades 5 to 9 read on average 12 books a year, and how the school has seen a 40% increase in male students reading beyond their assigned texts. Here's Alex explaining why it's so important to encourage students to read a range of different books, particularly for students in this age bracket. 
And it's not just kind of our rural communities, but I think all schools around Australia and, and indeed the world are wrestling in the age of TV that's on demand of the time and pressures around social media and the screen, that, that the urge and, and um, willing need to, to pick up a book for enjoyment is is um, being, you know, uh, often squeezed out of a picture. And so, um, you know, if we look at if we look at contemporary research, we, we're seeing less and less students, um, particularly teenagers in that secondary age age range and age bracket picking up um, books to read in their spare time and we really think well what we're trying to do is literacy is just so so key for life isn't it um it, it it's really the gateway to to all careers and all opportunities for success and and with these so many um competing pressures for time even more so should we be valuing the written word and the role of literature to engage with to um, have a personal response with and um and that's certainly what we've seen some of the impacts um, of of this kind of wide reading literature circles program on our students and so it is very much a real need for our community but that's also shared um, in a much bigger picture as well. Alex Warden also says for our student population to see themselves being represented in book selection is really important because it gives that authenticity it gives that representation of voice that they can connect with. Here's something to think about Reflect on how you are addressing this in your own school context. Do you have a diverse range of books available for students to borrow? An important part of Carinia Christian School's reading culture is the involvement of all staff, which has led to a staff book club. Is this something that could be considered for staff at your school? The other podcast I'd like to share is one I recorded with Dr. Gary Steger, which explored his 30-year study into laptop use in schools. In 1990, Gary led the professional development in the world's first laptop school. I asked him about the challenges they faced back then in the implementation of the program, how students engaged with the technology in the early days, but also what he's learned about the way computers are used in schools today. Here's Gary talking about why Australia should be proud of the fact that they were the first one-to-one laptop school in the world. You know, it's really important to assert the fact that, that all of this began in Australia. I'm not Australian, but I'm incredibly proud of the work that was done there by my colleagues and a little bit by me. And I think it's really important to sort of plant the flag and let people know that this wasn't a kind of American-centric event. You know, more than 50 years ago, Seymour Pepper and Cynthia Solomon were talking about every kid having a computer and not only having a computer at a time when most adults had never touched one, but that the kids would have agency over that computer, that they would be programming it themselves. And that idea was viewed as, as science fiction until a couple people in Australia took it seriously. David Loader, who was principal of Methodist Ladies College in Kew, Victoria at the time, in 1989 committed his school to every child having a laptop and using that laptop in a constructionist fashion to program across the curriculum, to bring ideas to life, to mess about with powerful ideas. You know, at, at the most fundamental level, he recognized that computers were increasingly abundant and they were smaller and cheaper. And it was probably a good idea for, for kids to, to seize this power. And finally, this month, we also launched our annual reader survey where we invite you to share what type of content you enjoy seeing from teacher, which topics you'd like to see covered in the future, and how you're using our content in your own school settings. 
By entering, you go into the draw to win a $500 Visa prepaid gift card. That's all for this episode and you're now all caught up on the latest evidence, insight and action. Links to all the content and resources I've mentioned will be in the transcript of this podcast, available at our website, teachermagazine.com. This podcast from Teacher is supported by the Hatchery Schools Learning Community, where you can get all your learning and development in the one place.